0: joe of the chalet school chapter eighteen the ice carnival the decision was made there was to be no ice carnival for the pupils of the chalet school harebron's horror when he heard madge's queries on the subject had quite settled that but the ice carnival For the little children, he had exclaimed. Oh, no, my Fraulein, it can never be. It is not becoming for young ladies. People come from far and near, and when they bring beer and schnapps, that is bad, for they take too much, and there is much roughness and horseplay on the ice. Sometimes there are quarrels, and then we have fighting. Oh, no, not for the children. But you and... THE CHILDREN MUST LOCK THE DOORS AND SHUTTER THE WINDOWS, AND GO NOT OUT AT ALL. Madge looked troubled. Do you think it's possible that our part of the lake may be in use? she asked. Herbram waved his hands in a gesture of helplessness. I cannot say. It is probable. But I will speak to those who build the bonfires, and ask that one is not placed near the chalet. That will keep the skaters away. Also, I will have the fencing of the land finished, and we will put very strong padlocks on the gate. But it is all that I can do. At least, mein Fraulein, this occurs but once in the year, and it is quite possible that the better people only will come to your side of the lake. The wilder ones will stay on the sea-spits' end, where there will be many bonfires and much light. You're very good, Herr Braum, said Madge gratefully. I shall certainly not allow the girls to go outside after nightfall on Saturday, and the fence will be a great protection. Then she had skated back across the lake to issue her commands, while Herr Brahm sent his men to get on with the fence, with which he was enclosing the chalet school and its ground. The posts had been driven in before the snow came, and a part of the with-weaving which was to build up the fence, had been done. Now the men were set to continue the weaving, and by Friday it was finished, and the chalet, la petite chalet, and shed, and cricket ground, and tennis courts were safely enclosed within a six-foot barrier, which not only shut the school out from curious eyes, but also cut off interesting sights from the inattentive pupils, a rather necessary thing. Miss Bettany issued her commands, but she omitted to give any reason for them, which was a mistake, where one or two of her pupils were concerned. People like her own small sister are very quite contented to obey orders if a reason is given them, and Joe had been in many ways treated from a grown-up point of view, because Madge had chosen to give no explanation for her edict. "'Joey became restless, irritable, and finally downright rebellious. "'It's a mean shame,' she declared to her own special courtier of friends, "'which consisted of Margia, Simone, Frida, Marie, and Paula. "'I don't see why we shouldn't go. "'But it is Madame's desire that we do not,' said Marie, "'who was a law-abiding little soul. "'I don't care,' retorted Naughty Joe. "'I'm going.' and I don't care who says what. The others gazed at her in awe-stricken silence, all except Margia. She flashed a funny little look at the recalcitrant one. Joey flushed pink. I mean it, she said defiantly. It won't be running away, will it? queried Margia. No, of course not. We're only going for a short while, just to see what it's like, and then we'll come back and own up. But will not Madame be very angry? asked Marie doubtfully. Up went Joe's head. Of course, if you are afraid, she said scornfully. Marie was, but she had far more pride. So she retorted, I have not fear, but Madame will be very angry, and she will also be hurt, and that I do not like if joe's tongue had been all right the chances are that the last part of marie's final remark might have carried weight instead of yielding she merely snapped don't come then we can manage without you then she faced on to the others any more funks here but i am not a funk marie was nearly in tears i will come with you joey of course the of course slightly mollified joe And as the others all agreed without further argument, she calmed down considerably. Right then, we'll fix up our plans and go. It can't do any harm just to be on the ice for an hour or so. And we'll own up to it the minute we get back. So it'll be straight enough. It was straight up to a point. What Joey wouldn't, and the others didn't see, was that it wasn't straight right through. It was all very well to say it was a sporting thing to do. This was one of Joe's arguments, but they all felt more or less uncomfortable about it. Meanwhile, Madge, having given her commands, imagined that there was no further need to worry and plunged wholeheartedly into the term's work. The English and German of the school showed a tremendous all-round improvement, but the French of some of the juniors was appalling. Also, at the request of several parents, she had decided to have Italian classes for the seniors. The Chalet School must, of necessity, specialize in languages, and Miss Bettany had decided that it should have an excellent showing in them. To these classes, Joe, Paula, Marie, and Margia were admitted, although they were two years younger than most of the seniors, and Graffin von Rothfels had specially asked that Paula might join them, and had also mentioned that Frau von Ecknew would wish Marie to learn, while Joe and Margia both knew a certain amount already and would profit by the regular work. There was timetables to arrange and rearrange, new stationery, and one or two new textbooks to give out one or two kitchen details to see to and the games to settle it was hardly surprising that during all the bustle of the first week the mutiny of certain middles should be overlooked a fresh fall of snow on the friday made it impossible for the girls to go out so when games time came round the big classroom was cleared pretty miss Durant came over from la paticelle where she had been teaching the juniors how to make raffia baskets with beautiful designs. The girls worked off their superfluous energy in picking up sticks, Jenny plucked pears, Meg on a Cree, Butterfly, and other country dances, and then they were all sitting round the the wall, breathless and laughing. Mademoiselle played a tune none of them had ever heard before, and Miss Durant danced for them a Morris jig, which drove them all wild with delight. "'Oh, what is it?' cried Joey, her rebellion forgotten for the moment. "'What is it, Miss Durant? It's simply lovely, the jolliest thing I've ever seen.' Miss Durant, who was flushed and panting with the exercise, laughed at her enthusiasm. "'It's one of the Morris jigs, but people are going to start Morris this term. "'Jockey to the fair, it's called.' "'It's simply top or glorious,' proclaimed Joey. "'I just love it. When can we begin?' "'Jigs? Oh, I'd advise you to learn the steps first, said Mr Durant. "'You surely don't want to start on Jigs straightway.' "'I don't care what we start on so long as we start on something,' declared Joey. "'Will you teach us the step today?' mister Durant shook her head. "'No, we've all been working fairly hard, and Morris isn't easy. "'You must be fresh to do it well.' WE'LL LEARN A NEW COUNTRY DANCE, THOUGH, AND YOU SHALL BEGIN YOUR MORRIS TOMORROW MORNING, FROM INTO SETS OF EIGHT. I'M GOING TO TEACH YOU oaken LEAVES. THEY RAN TO DO THEIR BIDDING, AND WERE SOON BUSILY LEARNING oaken LEAVES, WITH ITS PRETTY FIGURES, WHICH WERE QUITE NEW TO THEM. JOEY, DEEPLY ENTHRALLED BY THE WORK, FORGOT ALL ABOUT HER PLANS FOR SATURDAY, AND DANCED HARD ALL HER ZEST SHOWING IN HER FACE. If other people had been contented to let things be, the chances are that she would have forgotten all about the carnival till it was too late to make arrangements. Unfortunately, Simone was rather bored by the dancing, and before going upstairs to change from their tunics, she pulled Joey into a quiet corner and said eagerly, And for tomorrow, Joe, where do we meet and when? Oh, bother, tomorrow. "'I'd forgotten all about it,' replied Joe, frowning. Simone had not been particularly keen on the escapade. However, once she had screwed up her courage sufficiently to enable her to agree to doing it, she did not wish to give up the idea. A wicked little imp inspired her to make the one remark that would bring Joe up to the scratch. "'Have you, then, fear,' she asked, "'That settled it. The blood rushed to Joe's face in a crimson tide. "'No,' she said shortly. "'I'll tell you about arrangements before we go to bed tonight.' Then she turned and ran off, all the joy and zest gone from her face and only a heavy frown on her brow. Madge met her and stopped her to ask what was the matter. "'Joe, what's wrong with you, child? Has anything happened?' "'I'm all right,' mumbled Joe.' SCARLET TO THE TIPS OF HER EARS. Madge concluded that she had had a quarrel with one or the other girls, and let her go. She could hardly push the question any further at the moment, and the next day a letter arrived from her twin brother, which put everything else out of her mind. For Dick had written to her to tell her that that he was engaged to his chef's youngest girl, and that they hoped to be married very soon. There was a note from the lady herself, which showed her to be a jolly, rather schoolgirlish, person, who evidently took life as a huge joke. She sent her love to her two sisters-to-be, and added that she enclosed some snapshots of herself, so they could see what she looked like. On the outside of the note was scrawled, Can't find the beastly thing, sending them later. Madge giggled over this, and decided that Miss Molly, Avery, was the right person for Dick to marry. She meant to tell Joey about it, but that young woman studiously avoided her, and then Marie contrived to upset a kettle of boiling water over herself, and was rather badly scalded. By the time things were righted, and poor weeping Marie was laying in bed with her own small sister to look after her while Egan assisted Miss Bettany to do his sister's work— in the kitchen. The entire school was playing netball, and Joey at center was ungettable. In the afternoon, she and the rest of the middles vanished into the shed, where Rufus, now a handsome fellow, with fine head and great massive body, spent the day with his mother. The head had said that the girls were not to go outside the fence today, and unfortunately this meant depriving the dogs of their usual walk. So she was glad to head to hear the sounds of romping that came from the big shed. Marie's accident made a good deal of difference, and Miss Betney was kept busy till after the girls had had their coffee. As they came out of the spizal to go and change for the evening, she contrived to catch Joe, and drew her into the study. "'Joe, I've had a letter from India,' she began. "'When?' demanded Joe. "'This morning, of course. "'My dear Joey, what is the matter?' Joe faced on her. You've had a letter from Dick all day and you never told me about it till now, she gasped. But Joey, I've had no time. Joe made no answer. She simply stood there, very white and with angry eyes. Madge looked at her amazed. Why, Joey, what is the matter with you? Aren't you well? I'm all right. Don't fuss, Madge. Madge began to get angry now. You ungrateful child, you don't deserve that anyone should fuss over you. Then, as the memory of the tremendous news she had just received came to her, she softened. Joey, don't be cross. I'm awfully sorry it's got delayed. The more so because of the wonderful news I have to tell you. What do you think? Dick is engaged. As what? Engaged to be married. We shall have a new sister before long. "'Rats! I don't believe you,' returned Joey rudely. Madge was dumbfounded. She simply could not understand this attitude. She never once dreamed of connecting it with her refusal to allow the girls to go to the carnival, and she could not think that it was the result of not giving Joey the letter sooner. "'Joey, do you realize how rude you're being?' she said quietly. "'I've told you that I am sorry that I didn't show you the letter sooner.' and I see you're very angry with me, but I couldn't help it. Here's the letter. Will you take it away and read it for yourself, please? I don't want to see you until you have come to your senses. Joey almost snatched the letter from her and left the room. She was cross about not having had it sooner, but the principal trouble was the deep sense of shame she had. She had often been tiresome before this, but she had always been straight." What made it worse was the fact that she was dragging other people into it. She took the letter upstairs and tucked it into her drawer. She didn't feel like reading it just now. When she got downstairs, she found that the others had nearly finished their coffee, and through the unshuttered window came flickering light from the bonfire, which were being lighted. Snatches of music drifted across them from the lake accompanied by increasing chatter of voices as the revelers began to turn up in full force. The carnival was beginning. Miss Bettany had arranged that the girls were to go upstairs to the dormitories that overlooked the lake and watch the fun from the windows, so after coffee the girls streamed upstairs while Egan closed the shutters of the downstairs windows. This was the chance of the naughty middles. They slipped into the dark cloakroom and hid among the coats, while the others settled themselves in the darkened dormitories. The staff went with the school, Marie was in bed, Egan had permission to go to the carnival for two hours. It seemed ages to six, standing as motionless as possible in the little cloakroom before silence settled down on the lower part of the house, though as a matter of fact it was barely half an hour. When finally they felt safe, they closed the cloakroom door very quietly, switched on the light, then they dressed as quickly as possible in the woolen jerseys, big coats, thick boots, woolly caps, and scarves and gloves, lifted their skates carefully lest the jingling should betray them, and stole along the passage and out of the side door, which had been made for the convenience of the day girls. It was not till they were outside and they realized just how difficult it was going to be to get down to the lake without being seen. What shall we do? asked Margia. If they see us, they'll come after us, and we shall have all the fussing for nothing. Joey, however, was a resourceful young person. Go round the back, she said, then we can cut across the cricket grounds and climb over the fence and go down the other side it was the only thing to do they crept along keeping well into the shadows of the house and until they reached the cricket field across which they fled at full speed till they came to the fence this had to be climbed but they were all active enough and even simone with a good boost was able to get over it safely When they were all at the other side, they looked at each other. The excitement was doing the work. Even Joey had forgotten her conscience pains, and they caught hands and ran cheerfully down the edge of the lake, where they sat down to put on their skates. Joey got to her feet, then she looked round. It was a wild, picturesque scene. Overhead was a stormy sky with a young moon gazing down on the white-clad mountains remote and silent even now against the snow the pine woods stood out in black masses and the ice-bound lake lay like a pool of midnight in its sparkling frame great bonfires flared up to the distant stars casting a lurid light on the snow and linkmen glided about the lake carrying flaming torches already the sea-spits end was crowded with figures but just where They were. It was quiet. On the frosty air, the music was the great band playing like possessed creatures near one of the bonfires came clearly to them. It was a wonderful picture. The six little girls kept pretty close together. Frida, Marie, Margia, and Paula were excellent skaters for their age, and Joey, during her fortnight holiday, had learnt to be fairly safe, though she was by no means as good as she thought she was. Simone was wobbly to the last degree, but Frida and Marie took her between them and Paula caught Joey's hands, and they enjoyed themselves enormously for the first half hour or so. Then Paula took Marie's place with Simone, and Marie, anxious to prove her skill, began cutting a figure of eight on the ice. Joey watched her with keen interest, so keen, in fact, that she paid little heed to where she was going, encountered the dead branch of a tree which someone had flung on the ice. Staggered tried to recover her balance and fell headlong, her hands above her head, directly in the path of a skater who was coming along at full speed. He was going too quickly to swerve, and to the horrified children it seemed as though he must go clear across Joey's fingers. They set up a wild shriek and as for Joey, she fainted just as the skater flung himself wildly to one side and fell with a crash on top of her. It was at this moment that Miss Bettany, hunting through the cloakroom, discovered that her missing pupils had vanished and dashed upstairs to her room to scramble into her outdoor garments and snatch up her skates before she hurried out to reclaim them. To say that Madge was angry is to put it very mildly mildly, she was furious. It was bad enough that the other children should have gone, but that her own sister should have set her at defiance like this was unbearable. She shut the door firmly behind her and hastened down to the lake. A little cavalcade met her as she opened the gate. First came Simone, crying heartbrokenly with Frida trying to comfort her. And then came Maria and Paula, both crying too. Lastly, Margia walked sobbing beside a tall man who carried in his arms a limp burden that lay very still. Madge said afterwards that she felt her heart stop beating as she saw them. Then she sprang forward. Joey, she said. The stranger spoke in a reassuring tone. She's only fainted. She'll be a bit stunned too. I expect she's badly bruised. "'But that will be all. Let me carry her to the house for you.' The voice was vaguely familiar, but Madge could only think of Joey. "'Bring her in,' she said, and led the way up to the chalet into the study, where she switched on the light. The stranger laid Joey on the couch, and as he did so, she opened her eyes. "'Hello,' she said. "'I say, aren't you the man who helped us in that train accident last term?' Before anyone could reply, Simone had flung herself down by the couch. "'Joey! Joey!' She sobbed. Then Joey remembered. "'My fingers!' She gasped. "'Oh! Are they still on?' She tried to move, but the action was agony, and she screamed. "'They're steady,' said the man, who had been taking off his coat and scarf. "'You'll be black and blue all over, and I expect your fingers are there.' "'I fell on you instead.' "'Then he turned to Madge. "'I'm a doctor. "'James Russell's my name, and you may remember me. "'If you will permit me, I will examine her.' "'Madge gave thankful permission, "'and while Miss Maynard, who had joined them by this time, "'removed the other children, "'she helped him to undress Joey and examine her. "'It was as he had said. Joe was badly bruised. "'In addition, she had sprained her ankle when she fell.' but there was no serious damage. When things had all been explained, Dr. Russell looked down at his small patient, now safely in bed with a smile. You've punished yourself, he said. You won't be able to move comfortably for a week or more, and that sprain will keep you in bed for longer than that. Oh, I'm not going to rub it, but you've asked for trouble, and you've got it. Then he said good night and left her. Madge came back presently to find a thoroughly penitent Joe awaiting her. "'Joey,' she said. "'I'm a beast,' declared Joe. "'I'm awfully sorry, Madge, and it was my fault. Don't blame the others, please.' Madge was fresh from an interview with Simone, who had declared it to be her fault because she had taunted Joey with being afraid, and another from the other four who had insisted that it was theirs for not opposing Joey's plan more firmly, nearly smiled. She just stopped herself in time. I'm not going to say anything about it, she said gravely. I know you are sorry and won't do it again, so we'll leave it at that. Now I'm going to give you some hot milk and read you Dick's letter, and then you must go to sleep. Shake, said Joey, moving her right arm gingerly. Madge took the bandaged hand in hers and then, bending down, kissed her small sister as final token of forgiveness. "'I hate ice carnivals,' said Joe viciously. "'And you're a dear.'